Three sons left home and they went out on their own and they did very well. After pursuing educational degrees, they were quite well established and they discussed the gifts that they were going to return home and offer to their mother for Christmas, having cared for them for so many years the way that she did. So the first son said, well, I'm going to big, build mom a big house and she will love it. And the second son said, well, I'm getting her the fanciest car and a driver to go with it. The third son said, well, if you would remember, our mother loves to read the Bible, and now she can't see so well, so what I'm going to send her is this remarkable parrot, this parrot that recites the entire Bible. She'll love it. It took uh, the leaders in our church 12 years to train it. All you do is say chapter, verse, and the parrot recites it. Well, a couple of weeks later, they all received handwritten notes from their mother. The first son had a note that said, Son, the house you built is huge. I live in one room, but thanks to you, I have to now clean the whole house. The second son received a letter that said, I'm too old to travel, son. I stay most of the time at home. I rarely use that fancy car, and that driver is so rude, he's such a pain in the neck. And to the third son, she said, that little chicken you sent was delicious. <laughs> I'm just saying, I hope that your gift giving and receiving is full of laughter and joy. And if somebody brings chicken, just, you know, watch out, right? Laughter is the major chord of the church's voice. It signals joy. You ever thought about joy? It's, it's my personal favorite theological claim. It's kind of my word. Because I know if there's a, a depth to me and to the church, it has to be visible through joy. What is joy? Our series for Advent invited us to think about our lives as ends, our, ourselves as innkeepers, and our hearts as mangers. Will we provide room for the coming of Christ as innkeepers? And then, once we get to the manger, will there be room for Jesus, or are there some things that have to be moved? And so what we've said along the past few weeks in this Faith Over Fear sermon series is that Fear finds its way into the mangers of our hearts a lot, a lot, for any number of reasons, expectations, loss, whatever the case might be. And so we talked about these prescriptive ways that we can practice faith over fear. It comes through hope over fear, peace over fear, love, not just gooey marshmallow love, sacrificial love. Sacrificial love over fear. And tonight, on the holiest night of the, the year, joy over fear. If we, we want to experience joy, we, we've got to find some ways for, for fear to be moved. We've, we've been preparing for this night for weeks, months, to be honest. And sometimes the best laid plans, they still need tweaking, last minute and unexpected edits and surprises to the bulletin. They happen. It's part of it. 
That wasn't true of Jesus' arrival. He didn't wait on bulletins to be finalized or weather to be 60 degrees, no clouds, and perfect. Or hearts to be right. Or all of our shopping finished. Guys, you got a few minutes left on this night if you need to finish up. He didn't wait. Christ didn't wait for the traffic at East Chase to die down. Otherwise, we'd still be waiting. Somehow, with all the degrees on my wall, I still went to East Chase yesterday. Why? It was so crowded. Right? Jesus came anyway. Despite our readiness, certainly despite our worthiness, He just came down to earth anyway. Into our doubts and into our debts and into our fears and into our phobias and into our hurts and into our hollowness, Jesus came to us at Christmas to bring joy and to help us dispel the fear and the darkness it causes. There's a patron saint of joy, by the way. His name is St. Philip of Neri. He was an interesting dude. He's somebody that we would all like to have on our staff, at least in limited doses. He was a prankster, apparently, and sometimes he would be known to make people laugh when his joyful spirit, he would come into a large event that had been planned for months, and he would have shaved like half his beard and the other half was still scraggly. Or he would give his, his students and his disciples uh, incorrect directions just to see if they could figure it out. And sometimes he would stand up in, in the Catholic Mass, and instead of reading from the Missal or the prayer book, he would read from a book of jokes. The guy was just a, a hysterical, apparently. But, but something that I love is he said he stayed lighthearted to not take himself so seriously amid the stoicism of his, his community. And so couple of things that I, I like about St. Philip, the patron saint of joy, is that he wanted, first of all, to stay humble and to realize that life wasn't all about him. He wanted to remind himself of his own imperfections and keep his pride in check. And so it made me think that if we want to see a, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual joy in a human life, look for the life that's humble. He also wanted to keep things light and and joyful and to keep himself grounded in the things that matter right now, despite what the wind and the waves do and pound away. And he had this quote that I love. St. Philip of Neri said, joy is the most infallible sign of God's presence. Think about that. If you want to see the presence of God in this world, if you want the world to see the presence of God in, in your life, in your family, and in, in every aspect of, of what you do and who you are, practice humility. Practice groundedness. Conclude that this sermon tonight, faith over fear, the means by which we accomplish that, as I've mentioned, hope and peace and love and, and joy. And in the abstract, those components, they sound so benign, pedantic even. But for God's people, these, these really are the tools that we, we pick up and we stand against the darkness of the night and against the fear of this world and we combat it head on. We hope when it doesn't make sense to hope. We practice peace. We become instruments of God's peace playing in harmony together. There's enough disharmony in this world as it is.
people need the church to be peaceful, and sacrificial, and certainly joyful. Before, before he died, Bishop Duffy gave me a book by Thomas Curry. It's called The Joy of Ministry. And it's not only for, for clergy, it's for the church. It's about ministry. And I refer to it frequently. And it's one of those books, if you knew Bishop Duffy, it's one of those books that when I read the words, I um, just like reading one of his letters, I can hear his voice in the words. You ever had those kind of things? There's probably some term for it. I don't know. Like when you're reading a note from your mom or your dad, you can just hear their voice. Well, I could hear Bishop Duffy's voice in this, and I love this book. It's not a self-help book or a, some kind of printed version of a Lifetime movie about joy. It's just a reminder that the church's fundamental theological task is joy. It's joy. And Curry cites Father Alexander Schmiemann, who writes, I think God will forgive everything except a lack of joy. That's a bold statement, isn't it? I think God will forgive everything except a lack of joy. A couple times a year, somebody will ask me, hey, what's this, this unforgivable sin about which we read in Scripture? What does it mean to blaspheme the, the Holy Spirit? You've asked that question before, and I, I tend to answer the same way. I say it's any time we try to stand in the way of what the Spirit is trying to do that's in the Spirit's nature. What does the Spirit do? Practice His fruit. Love, and what's the next one? Joy, and then what? Peace, yeah. Love, and joy and peace are the first three primary fruits of the Spirit. So standing in the way of love and joy and, and of peace is it's taking on God in some way, right? Shmeeman also says, where there is no joy, Christianity becomes fear, and therefore torture is the word that he uses. Fear has a way of doing that, doesn't it? terrorizing, torturing, causing us to doubt, thinking we're not worthy enough or, or good enough, or the things that we've done in our past, are, they're just, they're not forgivable. We have to stay chained to our past. We have to stay walking around aimlessly in our, in our darkness, and Christmas changes that. The light of joy has come into this world. Removing fear from the ends of our lives and the mangers of our, our lives is hard work. It's a daily task to be an innkeeper and a manger cleaner, I guess would be the phrase. A fail-proof way to spot joy is, is to look for humility, look for depth of character. You find that soul and you'll find joy. You find a restless soul frenetically scurrying about and chances are that's fertile soil into which fear might be planted. Joy is, it's laughter, it's optimism. But you know what joy does to me sometimes? It, it threatens me. Joy threatens me because it reminds me that this world is not about me. It's about serving Christ. And it's about serving you. And it's about serving our community. And in that sense, joy and and generosity go hand in hand as much as joy and, and laughter go hand in hand. And the verse we all kind of hang our hats on as Christians, God so loved the world that he did what? Say it with me, gave. It's a verb of generosity. He gave freely and joyfully. Joyfully. I think the presence of joy is strength, it's confidence, it's groundedness. It, it's this reality that the past is the past. 
We stand on the shoulders of the ones who got us here, but the past is, it's not coming back. And the future is, is unknown and we, we can't figure it out. We don't have a crystal ball and it's so easy in those moments for fear to creep in, right? And joy does something different. It, it says, well, in this moment, particularly on this night, we claim that God is with us right now in this present moment, in this present moment. How's your joyful heart? How are the mangers of your heart on this night? Joy is humility. It's groundedness. Joy, as Willie Jennings at Duke says, joy is a resistance movement to despair and all the things that are trying to choke us out. Doubt and, and debt and fear and pain and, and even, even grief and, and sorrow. Joy is a, a resistance to that. How is that kind of joy cultivated? Joy is singing songs in a strange land, but we have to be around people who have sung songs in strange lands before. Some of you are here tonight and you're in a strange land. You wish, you wish so badly that somebody who was with you last year was here with you this year. Somebody's moved off, somebody's died that we love. We called 31 names at All Saints this year. It's 31 souls who are not here tonight. It's a strange land. We think about our, our children, those of us who are empty nesters, and they move away, and we think about their, their lives and their careers and their families and what will be, and it's a strange land to be in that season of life. <laughs> Somebody ought to say amen to that. <laughs> yeah. So it just brings me back to this, this space and, and this time that when we enter into strange lands, we, we sing a song, but we have to be around people who have sung those songs before. We have to be around people who, who make us laugh when we're in places where all we want to do is cry. We have to be around people who will ride the winds of chaos with us because they've ridden the winds of chaos with us before. What occupies the manger of your heart this night? Is it joy? Elizabeth, Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, they all heard the same message. Do not be, what? Afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. It's the most common refrain about which we read in Scripture. Do not be afraid. And yet we allow fear to creep in in so many nooks and corners of our hearts. But what the shepherds are told is something that's quite unique. In breaks the angel, in breaks the heavenly host. It's pretty convincing that something's going on in the night sky. They were living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks. They weren't working there. Luke tells us they were living there, living in the fields. And I look up and here's this billboard of angels. Do not be afraid. For I bring you good news of great joy. And I don't know what those shepherds were thinking. I really don't. They didn't leave all those sheep with their field hand. They didn't leave extra hay or extra feed. They just left the many to go after the one. Sounds like a familiar theme to me. 
the one Lamb of God. I want you to hear tonight that joy is God's Christmas present to you in the person of Jesus Christ. Those shepherds, they got up and left that field, and I just can't help but think, what are we willing to leave behind to leave here? To find joy and to be joy in this world. Because good news is always paired with great joy. That's the message we should leave with. That's the sermon. Good news is always paired with great joy. They're intertwined. The same thing. Not, not breaking news or headline news or fake news or this news or that news, but good news. It's the word gospel. Good news and great joy always go hand in hand. There are mangers all over the place where Christ is being born, where good news and great joy are being proclaimed. Just this past Thursday, members of our church and staff, uh, we joined Pastor Ken Austin down at the old WSFA building. It's now the MAP Center, the ministry about people. Um, Ken sent out a call for volunteers to serve meals and, and to work during the lunchtime hour and then to provide a uh, some oversight to the gift shop that they have. And so people from all over our, our zip code came together for a very fine meal, and then they went one room over and they could do some shopping for their children. Only the toys and all of the warming items and the food itself, it was all free. It was all free. The faces of little children who had been told I don't know if we're going to have a Christmas this year. I don't know if Santa Claus is coming. And all of a sudden, they get to walk in there and pick out a toy. Their faces lit up with pure joy. And they went running back to their family members and friends with the good news and great joy that there was something free that had come. Somebody remembered them, reminded them that they are not alone in this world. Something as simple as a toy, something as simple as a blanket or a beanie or a plate of food. I kind of envision the faces of the shepherds based on what I saw in those children and those parents. Maybe you saw some of the WSFA interviews and just within a few yards of this church, our neighbors proclaimed the good news with great joy saying, without this ministry, without these volunteers, without these churches, we would not have Christmas. See, good news and great joy are always paired together. Well, there's another story about Miss Betty who joined our church a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you didn't see her come down the aisle and you didn't see her new member photograph on social media celebrating her decision. She lives in the River Region uh, at an assisted living facility and and she's been watching us for a while. She, she started watching on WSFA several years ago, and she started feeling this real connection with our church. And so at the end of all of our Sunday morning services, you know, I stand here and I say, if you'd like to make a profession of faith in Christ or transfer your membership, uh, please contact Reverend Tribble. I'm not being, you know, like deferring that responsibility, by the way, but he's doing such a great job bringing in so many new members and getting people connected. That's his, one of his primary roles as an associate here. And so she called Reverend Tribble at some point throughout the week Miss Betty is two months shy of 86 years old. She's on oxygen. She's homebound and almost fully bedridden. And so Lucas went to see her one morning uh, a couple weeks ago and said that she attends worship every Sunday at 11 o'clock through WSFA. 
Nothing will keep her from coming to church each week. She's, her family uh, knows not to call her uh, as long as WSFA and our services is on. And if they come to visit her, then they will be counted in worship attendance with her. That's the rule, right? So she's already an evangelist for First United Methodist Church. Well, one of the first things that, that she asked Lucas when she arrived is if she could have a pledge card. She said she had never thought that a woman in her situation could witness to someone else until, until recent months. That was our stewardship series. She said that she's found a way to witness at her assisted living home. She started a devotional group, and they continue to meet even when she can't join them. Miss Betty joined our church that morning and was so excited to be a part of this congregation that she's been worshiping with us ever since she's been homebound. And she set a goal. She set a goal that um, at some point she wants to increase her strength so that her grandson can bring her to worship and she can be with her church family, even by uh, being here, you know, if it requires some assistance. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Um, Betty is worshiping with us right now. So I want to offer a special word of appreciation to Miss Betty for being what Christmas is all about, for making space, Miss Betty, in the end of your life and in the manger of your heart to say at 86 years old, despite all the talent, man, come Lord Jesus, come, be born anew. Because you see, friends, good news and great joy always go together for the youngest among us, for the oldest with us. In just a moment, the light of Christ will be passed from person to person. You're going to receive the light of Christ from somebody and you will share the light of Christ with somebody. I want you to think about that metaphor as a way that you have received joy from another human being and, and your path has been lighted by someone in your life, and, and, and our task is to do the same for someone else, to warm their life and to light their path with joy. But I also want to say that whether you're here in person, go ahead and get your candles ready if you're at home, or if you have a cell phone or a glow stick or whatever it is, we all have some form of light that will help us breach the darkness tonight. Because you see, hope is spread. Peace is spread. Love and joy and good news of great joy are spread from one person to the other. So is fear. So is doubt. So is, is hate and all these other things. But, but the church, for the church of Christ, we remember that love and joy came at Christmas. It's warming our soul tonight. It's binding us together. We are here from different cities and different countries and different counties and walks of life and backgrounds and everything else. Yet tonight, tonight we have one heartbeat, friends one heartbeat with joy, signaling to those around you and those in our community that none of us are left alone in this world, that God loves us, the church loves you. And so we rise tonight with Christ's hope and with Christ's peace and Christ's love for one another and always with joy, knowing that darkness will not win, cannot win. Darkness cannot win. Christ has come, and nothing will be the same again. That, my friends, 
is your greatest Christmas gift ever. Good news of great joy. Amen.